Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No It's not self-sustaining at the moment. It's a big problem for, you know, young bands or new bands just trying to, because I'm not young, really, just trying to, to, to actually you know, make it come to reality not even to make a living from they're just trying to make their art become a real thing it's it's a it's a hopeless void really
Welcome to the Dreams of Consciousness podcast. If you'd be so kind, would you mind introducing yourself? I am him, and the sole songwriter of Sermon. Um, James Stewart is my other half, but not we're not married, but he is a he's the drummer. And uh, so yeah, I'm the sole songwriter of Sermon. We have a new album coming out here on March 31st. Which actually, this might be posted a little bit later, so be sure to listen to that. And we'll we'll speak more about the new album shortly. How would you describe the music of Sermon? It's fairly. It's quite aggressive. It's quite regal. It's it's got a lot of fast drumming and kind of wall of sound riffing. It's got kind of big chanting vocals to sort of sort of more soaring sung choruses. I'd say that's pretty, pretty close to what it sounds like. In terms of bands, it's, it's a mix. It's a concoction of old prog bands to modern pop music with loads of distortion, really. That might sound a little bit misleading and you might be uh, retching in your throat as a hardened metalhead. <laughs> I find that actually the best inspiration is to just not really listen to metal and try and take ideas from elsewhere and just basically amp up the distortion well i mean beyond metal and you know whatever associations people have with with that genre would you say that the music of sermon is mostly heavy yes i would say so even the quieter kind of songs there's a heaviness to them at the same time though i my biggest challenge to myself is to try and make extreme ideas listenable so there's a song on the new album that's got almost a minute and a half of solid blasting but the vocals over the top kind of make it less heavy and more palatable i think so that's always my challenge to myself is how how extreme can i make the idea but how can i also make it listenable to people who might not like that kind of thing and we should say for all the the hardened metalheads listening to this who may have certain associations with you know phrases like prog or you know soaring or, or whatnot, there are what can easily be described as blast beats and tremolo picking and you know thrash sections on on sermon songs. And mm. your partner James has in fact worked with bands like vader and decapitated and you know is has very much worked in the metal realm so i mean whether or not people categorize sermon's music as metal or death metal or anything like that progressive metal there definitely is overlap between what what you do and what i think a lot of metal heads listen to i think so it's it's in the dna for sure I think I think we get compared a lot to say bands like Catatonia, which uh, I think we're probably a bit more extreme than Catatonia are. Definitely maybe, faster, right? Yeah, and maybe a little bit more evil as well in places. I know that's a, that's a kind of a childish word, isn't it? But uh, I not on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is all about evil. <laughs> darkness and evil that's good i mean that, yeah that's what i'm all about clearly it basically metal is in the dna but i i'm really cautious of just 
following the, you know, what's happening in the metal scene. I don't want it to become homogenous with all the other bands. You know, we don't play seven string guitars. I don't really give a shit about time signatures or, you know, loads of shredding solos. It just isn't uh, interesting to me. So I do try and search elsewhere for the inspiration because I think we all tend to fish from the same river and I'd like to avoid it as much as possible. Is that something that's that's very important to you when you approach writing songs for Sermon to make sure that Sermon stands apart from what's what's going on, at least in the the more well-known or, or popular bands? Mm, it's a it's a it's a part of my brain that's a, it's like conscious it's a it's not the main part actually the the, the main part is i'm just making things i want to hear that i think i haven't heard it's not to say that it doesn't exist it's just i want to hear it this way so that's the main the main drive but i am also self-conscious of sounding like other bands and i yeah so i you know, we haven't really touched any kind of gent kind of, you know, riffing really. Although actually there is one song in the new album where, you know, it's a count of four, but the kind of, there's like syncopated guitars and kick. So yeah, it kind of is, but there's no like down tuning really. It's just a kind of a slow version of Meshuggah, but it doesn't really sound anything like Meshuggah. Yeah, I'm sort of digging my own hole here, really, aren't I? Because uh, <laughs> we are original, and then I'm like, oh, no, wait, actually, there's a, there's a Meshuggah type song. Um, anyway, I try. There's a part of my brain that's like, mm, no, I think that's a bit too common, commonly done. And we'll, we'll speak more about your, your songwriting process in depth as we, as we segue into speaking about the, the new album. I do want to ask you a little bit about the backstory of Sermon. Mm. What were your intentions when you when you put this project together? I I've always written music, and I met James from releasing a EP well over a decade ago, and it it did quite well in some magazines. They all reviewed it quite highly. So I met James from doing that, but then I you know I lost steam and really doing any more of it because I had university, um, and then my dad got very sick. And so I just wrote music as a way of turning a terrible thing into a less terrible thing. And that was, that became the first record. And needless to say, you know, because I always write songs, I signed to Prosthetic for three albums. Um, and this is the second one. So I've been writing this one, you know, ever since Birth of the Marvelous was done. But it's been sat there for couple of years now because of the pandemic so it's it's good to see that it's almost coming out so people watching this this interview on youtube will will notice that you are masked as we're as we're conducting this interview and of course most of the people who who know of sermon will know of you as him but i do i do have to mention you know with your your association with james and you know, uh, speaking about your, your father's illness, you're quite open about some aspects of your life. I'm curious where the, where the desire for anonymity came from. It's a good, it's a good point. I mean, I can, I'm, I'm happy to be as open as, and like, as open as I can be really, other than my actual identity. You know, for example, like right now, I'm sat in a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I, you know, it ruins it ruined my my tendency to be open. Kind of fights against the anonymity thing because I'm, as you say, fairly open. The real truth is is that I, in my everyday life, I rely on my name somewhat for work. So when people type my name into Google, I need them to know that I do the thing that I do, so I can get more work. And I just felt that if my identity was sermon, it would maybe affect it a bit. So I thought it was just best to keep it private. But I mean, the truth is, I, you know, there's other things that have come out of it that are an advantage. Like I'm uh, very stage fright prone, and for some reason, uh, wearing something on my face really gives me more confidence in a strange way. But I can understand that a lot of people would not like the anonymity thing. It's an it's an eye rolling thing where it's like, oh, another masked band, and I get it. <laughs> but you know, people don't give black metal bands shit for all wearing court saints. So I'm not really sure where all the hostility comes from. Masks. I guess it kind of looks a little bit more cartoony, and I think black metal it takes itself very very seriously. Maybe it's something to do with that. And and we should point out that him is an alias or a, a pseudonym, but not a not a persona, right? You're not calling yourself Lord Destruction or whatever, like uh like some of the black metal musicians. Exactly. Yeah, it's not. You know, there's no, there is no persona. And maybe I should have. Maybe I should have tried. I just think for moments like this, where you've got to talk to a person for a prolonged period of time, to not be sincere would be really really difficult think fair enough going back to to the origins of the band did did you have a, a good sense of what kind of music you wanted to make with sermon was it always going to be in in this realm i think so i actually have different i actually have things that aren't sermon like i've got a whole album of basically like acoustic kind of folky singer songwriter type music that one day I will probably release but with Sermon I just it's the metal part of my brain that wants to as I said before it's quite tiring listening to a lot of metal bands because you you kind of get they become homogenous like I said and so I suppose it's an effort to just try and make something that I really want to hear myself. And whether that's original or not, I don't know, because I haven't listened to every type of band. But that's really, the, that's really the goal. And as you mentioned, you handle all the instrumentation for Sermon, aside from the drums, which, which James handles. Do you handle all the vocals yourself? Yeah. I basically create a demo with some MIDI drums. I... I I do as much vocals as I can, but it's quite difficult to do in London. And then I send it to both James and Scott Atkins, the producer, and they, it can be quite <laughs> nerve wracking because you don't know what you, if you, what you've done is A, sounds any good because I'm not a recording engineer. And B, if they even want to do it with you. There's a lot of, it takes a lot of faith, I think, to, to follow an incomplete vision which they, they both do, and I'm very grateful for it. But, you know, when it, when it comes into the studio, yeah, I'm doing all the guitars, all the vocals. 
I hadn't, we had a um, bass player this time, Lawrence. It was good to take that responsibility off my shoulders because I did it for the first record and I'm, I'm just not a bassist, guys. I'm just not, I'm just shit at it. So, so yes, I, you, broadly speaking, I just yeah, do it all really. And then if I can get anyone to help me, I absolutely will.
how complete are the songs when you send them to James? Are the, the song structures mostly set or is there still room for... Yeah, yeah. It sounds like an album. It sounds like a crappy album because I've recorded on a Line 6 pod direct in. But I really put a lot of time and effort into even just making the hits on the drums kind of sound like a drummer because it's, it's good for me to listen to it that way. And it's good for James to hear as, it as complete as it can be. So there, it is all fairly well formed. The only thing I would say is, is a lot of the time, like last time, I couldn't get vocals done on the whole album I, as a demo because I just didn't have the space to do it. And it was the pandemic, so I couldn't get anywhere to record some demo vocals. But I got about half of them done. But the second half of the album, we were going in a bit blind. But I had it in my head. It's just difficult for the other guys to sort of imagine what I'm imagining. And how does a sermon song start? Drums. Always drums. Really? Yeah, or it will start with... It will start with me, you know, coming home from the pub a bit drunk, singing into my phone. That's, <laughs> that's kind of... That's sort of how it begins. Singing, singing riffs or singing vocal phrases? Vocal phrases. They don't... They start out... Either there's a single word that I think sounds good sung or it won't be a word yet but the melody will form around a kind of i will build words out of the melody they aren't i don't know how to describe it it's not like a proper word yet it's sort of <laughs> i'm not gonna do it actually on here i'm sound like a right dick but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's that it starts really sketchy basically and i'm Got a collection of them, I think, for the next album. I haven't checked it in a while, but yeah, I think I'll have to go through them soon. Interesting. And between the coming up with the drums and, and the vocal phrases, at what point do you start adding guitars? Do you have like a sketch of how, like a basic song structure that you want, or a flow of how you want the song to go, and then you start adding riffs to that? I've got a kind of library in my brain of riffs but i try not to force the riff into the song if that makes sense obviously if there's a if i've got one riff i can think well what's the logical next step does it need a bit of contrast is if it's big chords does it need some contrast with a bit of kind of palm muted riffing after it to give it that kind of sense of change i tend to not really think about songwriting i tend to feel it more than i think it because i don't i don't know anything about music theory at all so what i'm doing is very based on instinct i mean that, that that's interesting to me like i i don't know if, if i necessarily thought of thought of sermon being like a rhythm first kind of band but now that you say that it it kind of makes sense like the riffs are very the the link between the riffs and the drums like they always feel like they're or they're symbiotic to each other. Do you know what I mean? Yes. One, I I try to think of the the percussion as melody, so beat becomes melody. And the, I think the reason for that is I just I think it drives the song better, rather than your drums being a kind of subordinate to the riff. It, 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 I kind of feel like the pulse of the song helps it mount to something easier. 
And really the guitars are a way of getting a vocal melody in there and letting it build into something kind of grand, you know, because let, like, let's say, I mean, actually, I, I think about it. Departure on the new album is a blast beat song. And I wanted a song like that. But it could only live at the end of the album because it's the curtain call, it's the climax. And I think about songs in the same way. You know, if the song starts in one place, I try not to, you know, play the whole hand in, in, in the first chorus because it has to build. You, it has to give you a reason to get to the end. And I think that drums is the main way of starting that, actually. It's the... It's easy to build a beat, I think, up. You know, if the snare's going every, you know, if it's kind of slow, if it's going like every bar or something, well, how do you make it more intense? You just double it up on the next rotation. So that's kind of how I think when it comes to songwriting and drums. But it always kind of starts there. The second sermon album is called Of Golden Verse and it will be released through Prosthetic Records on the 31st of March of this year, 2023. You spoke about the, the themes that inspired the first album. Is there an overarching theme to, to this album? Was there an inspiration? Yeah, it's abuses of power, basically. And it's a collection of little observations. It could be anything from religion to war to suicide to you know, like a uh, conflict between two people. They're very vague. I like, I think, because I, I don't want to put my point of view down someone's throat. And actually, it's never really a point of view. It's just an observation of something I've heard or read or whatever. A lot of people have been like, is this a, a response to the pandemic or like the state of the world? And this? I think, honestly, you could attribute a lot of these topics to that, but I think these things have been happening for centuries. Human history in total, I would imagine, they're so broad and so vague. So all of it's wrapped up in like a, you know, kind of mystical analogy most of the time. It's all of it surreal. So you probably wouldn't know what every song meant from reading the lyrics, which aren't published either. And as far as the lyrics go, or, or what people take away from the lyrics, is it is it your intention for it to be open to interpretation, for people to come come away with their own? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just I just don't have the authority on any subject to ch try and change someone's mind. Basically, when did you begin working on this album? It must have been. 2017, maybe? It was quite a long time ago. It's been sat there for nearly two years, completed, which is really agonizing it, because you can't move on either. I can't move on mu musically from it. I, I can't start the next one until this one's kind of done. So yeah, it was a long time ago. Was the delay largely due to the pandemic and and social distancing restrictions or also problems with uh, production on the, the record label side? I think it was the production on the record label side because you get a bottleneck and vinyl takes like a year to produce now. 
So there's just a huge backlog and you can't basically release the album without the vinyl sales because it would just won't make the money back. So yeah, it's just taken its time. We spoke a little bit about the style of Sermon and your your relationship to metal or the influence that you you take from metal. How do you how do you feel about this album being described as a more extreme or even like a more closer to the realm of extreme metal than the first album? I I would say that's absolutely spot on actually. I think I think we've it's been I think there was a trying to we were, I was trying to shake the prog metal thing because I I just you know it's not it, while I like mellotrons and stuff from like the seventies it's I'm not really aiming to I'm actually trying to aim, make it listenable I'm not trying to go into uh, the deep rabbit hole of time signatures and noodly riffs and lots of uh, fruity keyboards over the top and. I'm actually trying to make as listenable and basic song as I can. The problem I have is that I've got too many bad habits in songwriting and, you know, I can't make something like Ghost because I'm like, yeah, let's just put a blast beat there (laughs) because I just can't help myself. But so I think the ideas are extreme and I think it is extreme metal. Yeah, I would say that. And I mean, is this something that that you see yourself moving further into in the future? Do you see Sermon having more blast beats, having more faster sections? I don't know, actually. I, 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 have you ever heard of a band called The National? Don't think so. They're a, I don't know what the way to describe them would be. I suppose they're kind of like an indie band, but they, they're basically, they're, the way they, they've got wonderful instrumentation. It could be like, they've got quite, Percussion, percussion driven they've got like they use strings in like a really nice way i would like to almost make a more extreme version of that so i don't know whether that would include blast beats like a, you know i feel like maybe it would if we've done it once you know maybe it's not the right thing to do again it's hard to say i don't i don't know yet i'm not sure i'm i feel a little bit lost at the moment actually so i, I don't have a clear direction on things either it will be like a 40 minute long song and it will be really self-indulgent and over the top and everyone will get angry at me for doing that or it will be really listenable and catchy and then people will also get really angry at me for doing that <laughs> so i'm not sure i'm curious since you're since we're speaking about audience reactions to to your music, how would you describe a sermon fan? Who who do you think or uh, who would you say is is the recipient of this music? I actually have no idea. I don't know anyone that I saw my I saw someone wearing a sermon shirt once at a gig, and it blew my mind. Um, I was really tempted to go up and say, but. I, uh, I just thought I'd look like a twat, so I didn't do it. <laughs> but I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't have much fan contact. I'm not even sure we have that many fans, to be honest. If if we do, they're invisible. It's quite a struggle to get us out there, really, because we don't play live because it's it's quite hard to do. So I, I, I don't know. But I, I think it could be. It would 
It could be anyone, really, because I, I think there is something in there for most people. Like a lot of my friends don't like, I mean, I don't know anyone really that likes metal. But I know that like a couple of the new songs, they're like, oh, my God, that's actually, I can actually kind of dig that. So, yeah, it could be anyone, really. I mean, I, I don't mean to pigeonhole you, but yeah, we we spoke about catatonia. I mean, would, would you say that the kind of people who like catatonia and opeth would also like sermon? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a fair assumption. I think that's yeah. They, I think anyone who liked really who really chased like really underground black metal or something or death metal would probably be mortally offended to hear sermon. So it's probably not them. It is probably more for the Opa fan, the Catonia fans, the Carnival or Tool or anything kind of like that, I guess.
you spoke about the recording. Uh, you mentioned you recorded with Scott Atkins. Mm-hmm. Atkins has worked with bands like Cradle Filth and Benediction. Twenty years ago, almost, I I bought two albums by a band that Atkins played in called Stampin' Ground. Oh yeah, yeah. So he's he's been uh, active in the scene for for a long time. What is it about Scott? Why do you like working with him? Well, in, actually, in the first instance, it's because James had recorded with one of his other bands, Divine Chaos, his first band, with Scott. And he was like, we can... Because initially, I self-funded the first album entirely. So I didn't have much money, but I could, you know, get a few thousand into debt and it would be okay. So we... And, and Scott actually was was up for doing it for that for that amount of money. I don't think he usually would, but I, I think James kind of sold it to him. But actually, I he is a wonderful man, Scott. He's he cares maybe more than I do about the performance and the song. And that is intensely valuable because I'm quite I'm actually, as, as much as I'm driven to do this, I'm actually really lazy. You know, I'm like, oh, that'll do. It's a bit out of tune, but who cares? I'm, I'm, I'm really shit like that, but he is not like that. So I need him for that. I need him to push it in the way it needs to be pushed. But he's great. And it's like when, when you, you spend a lot of time together, weeks just hold up. And so you've kind of got to get along. And, I, you know, I've got to say, I, you know, I... He's, he's a great guy. I, I I like spending that amount of time with him, to be honest. It's like therapy. Strange. So if I, if I understand the way you describe the process to me, mm-hmm. you're sending Scott the, the the guitar tracks that you record yourself at home? Or are you going into a studio and recording them again? So, no, no. So we, we do all everything with Scott. But I send a demo that sounds almost complete. So I've recorded all the guitars and the bass, some vocals if I can. I've done all the drums. I've done all the keyboards. And I'll send him that. And then we'll go into the studio and we'll record it all again. And we'll do it better, basically. So we'll get the live drums down. We'll do four layers of like rhythm guitars. We'll do all the leads, work out all the sounds, put the keyboards on top, and then spend as long as we can do on vocals. Gotcha. Okay, I understand now. We, we didn't spend a lot of time speaking about your vocals, but I'm curious if you have a, an approach. You know, on, on this podcast, I, I mostly speak to a lot of screamers and a lot of growlers. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really talk about technique that much. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious if this is something that you need to, to warm up to do if you, if you have to do vocal exercises or things like that, if you have an approach to, to doing your clean vocals. So uh, on the first album, I'd never sung in my life, really. And Scott was teaching me how to do it there and then. I actually have a good death metal vocal. I can I could be in a death metal band. So, so those growl vocals are, are yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You do have a good, good death metal vocal, yeah. I can do quite well, I think. I've got a good low guttural, and I can go quite high into the scream. But in terms of singing, so after that album, I got singing lessons because I wanted to learn how to control my body and where to get the power from. And it helps both 
screaming and singing like a lot of i wanted to find i was listening to a lot of jesus priest and uh, so a lot of the vocals are a lot higher i think because of that on this album and i wanted to find a kind of in between sing and scream sort of technique not fry screaming which is kind of like you know when like say like chester bennington like rips it out that's kind of fry scream but but just under that so that you can hear like a hear a vocal but also there's a bit of a harshness to it as well it's really difficult to do and i haven't done it for ages and i'm a bit scared when we come to play live because i haven't practiced so but it, it it's a it's it's fucking difficult singing singing is it's almost embarrassing because if your body's not behaving right that day or you're tense it won't be good it's not like with guitar where you can sort of like if the instrument is not great you could sort of put a bit of blame on it and you can't do that with singing it just all the blame is shouldered on you and it's it's a very different feeling but i want to get better at it i actually really like doing it and i'm i've got a good vocal teacher so uh I'm going to keep going and keep learning. And as far as the vocal lessons that you took, are there exercises you have to do? Like you have to do things to keep your voice in shape? There's probably a lot more I should do to keep it in shape. Certainly when we were, so when we were, so we're going to do a day of vocals, right? Which is going to be like 10 hours of vocals, which is savage. That I So I've got to warm up. So I, it's exercises with your mouth and your diaphragm. And it's basically just like going up the scales. So you go, that kind of thing. And then I want to try and sing some songs. So I'll, the songs I always sing when I'm warming up is Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. <laughs> and then it'll be Man in the Box by Alice in Chains because it has every kind of range that I need. And I can't do the chorus like Lane Staley can, but because it is high and it is, it's like full power chest, but diaphragm, but head voice. And it's just, but it's such a benchmark that it's sort of good to aim for to get going in a way, even if I fuck it up. Interesting. Okay. Well, with, with these new vocal techniques that you've learned, how would you compare the vocals? on this album to the vocals on the first album? There's a lot more range. There's a lot more aggression. And I think actually a lot more confidence. There's still the kind of talking chant type vocal that I use in some verses, which I pretty much directly stole from woven hand genius David Eugene Edwards, but I can't do it as well as he can. It's, there's a, basically a lot more variety, I think. And there's actually less layers, though, I think. I was really keen to make my voice the voice that I could do live. So I didn't want to do, like, say, what Ghost does, where it's almost a, a choir of his voice in the choruses. When, when you say layers, you mean multiple vocal tracks on the recording, right? Uh, yeah, and harmonies. I mean, there's definitely mo multiple layers of the same vocal. But they're just not loads of, you know, on, I'd say like Ghost is a really good example because he, he follows sort of a similar ethos to ABBA. 
and they'll have like harmonies or whatever all at the same time with like a a full octave up buried in the mix and a full octave down and it really make it pop but I, I we didn't really do that on this album because i just i wanted it to sound more like a band that could be performed live let's talk about that a little bit you have played a few shows live right like you played a, a festival in poland we played one show and it was supporting opeth nausis and tesseract and it's the first time I'd ever been on stage, and it was it was scary. <laughs> I fucked up the first song as well. There's a, it's the only video online, and at the very end there was a really high note, and uh, I was just too tense to sing it. So I, yeah. So the only evidence of Seven Live is 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 pretty shit. But it was a great experience, and and by about song three, I I think we kind of won the crowd over a bit, which was nice. But I would like to do more. It's just very difficult to organize because it costs more than I have, really. It's not a proper band and I would feel basically awful to not pay a bunch of musicians. I just, I I need to do it morally. We need legitimate offers, basically. We can't just do a van tour around all the pubs in England, you know? It just won't work. It would just hemorrhage money and everyone would be sad so hopefully we can get some hopefully we can get some gigs i mean we did get some good offers last time but then of course the pandemic hit and i we had to pull out of prognosis because everyone's touring schedules conflicted i actually think we'd be a very different band if we'd have done that so i think we would have been a we would have basically made a good impression and we'd probably be, be getting more offers because of it because of the people that organized it are pretty pretty important people on the scene. But unfortunately, we had to cancel. And uh, yeah, I'm still still a bit sad about it, to be honest. Uh, I'm curious who the who the lineup was when you when you played live. Sure. So we've got, well, actually, this new, the new lineup is James. It's Claire Genot, who is an amazing guitarist from London. She's She's incredible. She plays in lots of different bands. We've got Levi Kano, who's an excellent guitarist from Brighton, a proper prog nerd. Lawrence Jenner on bass, myself on vocals. And then we need, we've got a keyboard player, but I haven't actually asked him if he wants to do it, but his name is Shaz. So if you're listening, Shaz, um, you're, you're back on board, son. But yeah, we haven't, we haven't met up yet. I haven't briefed everyone on how, like, how to play all the parts and... I think I'm just waiting, actually, to see how the album is received, honestly. I mean, it seems like even pre-release, it's getting a lot of interest, at least on the media side. Do you think? I I just heard... I mean, I I suppose I don't... I'm not very good at keeping up with it, so I have no idea. (laughs) So, But if you say so, I mean, that's, that's good to hear. Well, let me put it to you this way. When your label approached me about doing this interview... I tried looking online to figure out who this band was and couldn't find anything. And then a couple of days ago when I was doing the follow-up research, there were more interviews online. And so it seems like people are hearing the album and, and really getting into it. And, you know, how that translates to album sales and stuff like that. Like I've never been, I've never been able to predict that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I'm astounded that, anybody likes the stuff I like 
Yeah. Even if it takes them like 10, 15 years to get into it. But I, I do remember a time when people went out of the way to tell me every, everything I listened to sucked. So. <laughs> yeah, I still, I still get that to this day. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but back to, back to playing live, is it, is it a matter of getting the tour offers and then the band will start meeting for her for rehearsals? The problem, the problem is, so I, I think the best bet for us is to prove what we can do live. And to do that, we can do a London show because I can, we can do that for free, basically, because we don't have to really pay for any travel or anything, which is really the expense or accommodation. So I know it, it sounds really shit that it all comes down to money, but because I'm one guy, I just don't have, you know, we get a tour offer, right? And a tour offer would be like some big band and they'll say, cool, join us on this tour on the European leg of it. Great. And then they'll be like, well, the buy on for the bus is like 15,000 pounds. And I don't have 15,000 pounds. <laughs> right. So no, we, can, we can't, we can't do that yet. There will come a time where we can, I'm sure. Or hopefully a band big enough will just pay it for us. But I think I think the way the industry seems to work is you get these kind of like mid-tier bands, we won't mention any names because it sounds like it's disparaging, who basically rely on support bands to pay for the bus to help. Because it costs a sh- like 30 grand a week or something ridiculous. So they need people to help chip in. And that's fair enough. But it is sort of just, it makes the music industry just feel like a bit of a pyramid scheme because whatever tier you're on, you kind of have to buy into the next tier. So it's not sustainable as it is at the moment. But, but yeah, it does prevent us from doing a big European tour with, uh, with a band because I just, you know, I, I could buy a fucking house so with the amount it would cost. And I think that's that's something that people don't, don't think about or, or don't realize as far as the economics of being a touring van like they see bands sitting at the merch table with three t-shirt designs or whatever or the vinyl or the cd not realizing that the band has essentially put themselves in debt to get all that stuff printed oh, absolutely yeah and and the thing is they're trying they're doing it yeah, so they can get up to the next level which is and they and every i'd say every tier of the music industry that i'm aware of does that I think even Spotify runs off stakeholder investment. So, you know, no one's making any, well, I mean, you've got CEOs on six figures up there or seven figures, but it's not self-sustaining at the moment. And it's a big problem for, you know, young bands or new bands just trying to, because I'm not young, really, just trying to, to, to actually, you know, make it come to reality not even to make a living from they're just trying to make their art become a real thing and it's it's a it's a hotless void really it's yeah it's very difficult but i'm hoping maybe as i say i think if the album is well received and fingers crossed it is we might we might you might see us on the circuit so we'll see
with all the difficulties and the challenges that come with playing live and touring, why, why is this a goal for you? Why not leave Starman as a studio project? I think, I think it'd be wonderful to make it live. I'm, I'm actually not a performer. I'm much better to just sit in the studio and tinker away. I, I'm much better at that. But I think, I think it really affects its ability to get to an audience if we don't play live. And I'm quite keen. It, I'm keen just to honour the the effort that I've put into it to get it to another audience. Because at the moment, to be frank with you, I don't think, you know, we've released three songs so far. I don't think it's grown an audience. And I am keen for it to, to grow because it it gives it gives the effort purpose, I think. That sounds really superficial, I think, but it's quite frustrating, I think, to to make to basically go through the agony of making something like this and it to be played to a room of no one. And we're not expecting it to be like chart breaking or anything. I think that's ridiculous, but I, it would be nice for people to be able to hear it. Or at least, you know, even tell me they don't like it would be nice. Any reaction would be nice, I think. And I think that's just the little ego junkie in my brain that wants it to be that way. It's not just, it is sort of self-satisfaction to write these things. But I think when you just go through the pain and turmoil of recording and writing and taking years to make it, you want a reaction. I think it's a natural feeling. You want something to come back to you, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. No, that's understandable. And also, I mean, it's been 20, maybe 25 years since I I played music in front of people. But there is a feeling, as, as nerve-wracking as it is, and it's not just like the ego gratification. like Because, you know, a lot of times... Or at least, you know, when I was playing playing gigs, it was mostly to my friends. Yeah. And there is a, a feeling when you're when you're sharing with people you know. But even if like you're you're playing to an audience of people that you know are there to hear your music or have similar interests, like you know the Opeth fans or the Catatonia fans or the Arcturus fans or whoever whoever the audience may be, like it is it is a you know there is a getting back to the the name of the band there is a, a sort of communion that happens when yes when you're with like-minded people that i think is it's hard to it's hard to put into words and it's hard to it's hard to really explain but when when you have that feeling when everyone is is together for that purpose it gives the music more meaning do you know what i mean even if you're just an audience member yeah i th- I, I think that's absolutely right and, I, and also i not to blow our own trumpet. The people in this band are far more skilled than I am. And when they bring it to life in that way, that that energy changes and it's it there I, I think if you even if you didn't like the band or the music, you'd still be a it sounds arrogant, but I, I think it's true. It, I think you'd probably be blown away because it's just so... Just to watch James Eden on the kit is mind-blowing. And I, I mean that in a way that it changes the air in the room when he's playing. Yeah, no. There definitely is something very special when, when you're in the room with a with a good death metal drummer. Yeah. 
I mean, he's not just, he can do anything. I met him when he was playing in hip hop bands. Like he can do it all really. He's, he makes a living. Death metal is the only thing that's paid him, but it, yeah, he's, he can do it all really. When you play, or at least that, that one show that I saw, you were handling vocals exclusively. Is there a difficulty with playing guitar and doing the type of vocals that you do at the same time? Not really. I, it would take some practice, but it was more just to focus, like the presence of of an in, the individual, just the singer, the, the kind of like you know, if I'm on, I think it just would look a bit odd if I had a guitar. Okay. In a mask, I, I don't know why. It was just instinct as an instinct. It just feels like it wouldn't fit in a way. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure why. It just that's the that's how it naturally felt, really. So, if you do get shows and if you do go on tour, mm-hmm. you would still be focused mostly on the vocals. I would only be doing vocals. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So. By the time people hear this podcast, of Golden Verse will be out through Prosthetic Records. Him, how can people order the album? What's the best way to get it? Well, actually, it depends where you live, because with Prosthetic Records, if you live in America, you can order it directly from there. I know they the, the shipping can be kind of expensive if you're in any other country like Europe. So in that instance, I would order it from uh, somewhere like Amazon or Bandcamp even. And yeah, you can follow us on all social media. You can uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and so yeah. If you if you'd like to give us a follow, I'm sure it would always. It means a lot. If you listen to the album, great. If you like it, better. If you don't like it, then, well, fair enough. Do you want to say anything about the 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 vinyl release that Prosthetic is doing for this for this album? There is actually a very beautiful gold version, if you can get your hands on it. I think it's quite limited. Honestly, I'm not even sure I'm going to get a copy of it. But I'm going to try and order it myself because I, I I don't know if the ones that they're going to send me are the the gold vinyl. But if you can get it, you should get it because it the package looks gorgeous. So is this like a Willy Wonka thing where you only find out if you get the golden ticket if you <laughs> if you open the vinyl? It's it's not as rare as that. <laughs> but I, I think out of the two packages, I think it's the one that just looks the most visually stunning. I will, if I can get my hands on it, I will do like a a video to show people because I think it, it does look really, really good. Very cool. So there's the, the the super limited gold version and there's the the black modeled version, which I think is 500 copies. Yes, I'm not sure. I guess maybe it's, it could be 500 of each and maybe it's just not that rare at all. But for me, the gold one is the... That's the that's the daddy. That's the one you want. And you spoke a little bit about ideas that you have for the, maybe not necessarily the next release, but ideas that you have for for more songs. Do you want to say anything about that and anything that may be percolating? Yeah, I'm not sure what your listener base is, but if they're really hardened metal guys that you know sort of posture they found the most underground, coolest, cabal kind of band. They're going to hate what I'm about to say. I really want to make 
a song that is really anthemic and catchy. That's what I want to do. And it's it's just playing on my brain because I think it's a challenge. It And I want to make it as extreme as it can be, but I want to make it as sort of sing along as I can as well. So I think that, yeah, I think that's going to annoy people. But I just, I've just got to exercise that demon because it's in my brain now. It's never going to go away unless I try. So sort of imagine ghost square hammer that's kind of I, it would be cool to write a song like that but again i'll get into the process of it and then i'll probably fuck it up by adding in some blast beats so <laughs> we'll see well i mean not, not that a song with blast beats can't be here can't be catchy right it's just unlikely to, well no i suppose slipknot did it so you know they did a fairly good job of of getting that onto radio. So is that at all something you're interested in? Like reaching uh reaching a, a mass or a large yeah. group of people like that? I think it would be really cool because not for money. I as I said earlier, the whole point of of sermon is basically to make extreme ideas listenable. And if I can do that, and it did get to a wide audience, I think that'd be, I think that'd be great. <laughs> cool. So you've been very generous with your time, uh, to the detriment of your your laptop battery and probably your phone battery as well. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say? No, that was that was actually a really nice. That was really nice to talk to you. And yeah, I'm sorry I'm having to sit in my toilet. <laughs> and ruined of masked. It's all right. It gave, it gave you some really, really cool reverb. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of asking everyone to do this from now on. Yeah, actually, yeah. Let's make that the standard. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much, Emma.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.